0: My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website, hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. guys, welcome, and uh, we are going to be continuing on uh, with our Road to the Resurrection um, sermon series, and uh, and so thank you guys for being here. Last week, we looked at, obviously, the life of Jesus, and uh, today we're going to look at the death of Jesus and why it's important. Last week, we looked at why is the life of Jesus important, and uh, today, why is the death of Jesus important, all right? So, uh, it's going to be um, an awesome, time, I hope. And uh, as always, if you ever have any questions about any of this after uh, all is said and done, feel free. Like I said, you can text that number, uh, any questions that you might have, or feel free to uh, just, you know, let's go grab coffee or something, and let's just have some conversations about stuff. Um, But uh, I was um, recently... Made aware of an Instagram page that I went and checked out, and uh, it was a guy who uh, claims to, to that he was a f- that he is a former Christian, right? So he used to be a Christian, and now he does not um, say that he is. He proclaims, in fact, that he. Uh, I believe he says that he's an atheist, or you know, at most, an agnostic. But um, that's kind of what his claims were. And somebody had shown me this and they said you should go check out uh, kind of with some things that he's posting. Because what his goal in life is now through like these postings is to basically go on uh, his social media page and put uh, kind of things kind of degrading Christianity and some, some things that he kind of grew up. Uh, learning and everything in church that that sound ridiculous. And so he just kind of puts on blast uh, Christianity in general and uh, and it kind of has some things out there. And, uh, and so this person was like, maybe you should check this out, just kind of see what's being said. Uh, you know, it's great for learning and stuff, but um, I struggle with those things because I, I will read them and then I will say, you are just misunderstanding things like I, and it drives me nuts. And so, and then especially to look into like, cause you can't, look, I used to be like a keyboard warrior back in the day and I'd be like, let me tell you what is wrong with what you just said, right? But that really rarely gets anywhere. Um, and so I just see those things and I'm kind of like, you know what, I'm just going to move on, right? I'm going to go somewhere else. But uh, anyway, so he's kind of telling everybody, you know, um, you know, what he believes now and, and uh, kind of some fallacies that he sees in Christianity and everything. And I was reading this one post in particular, and uh, I'll show you a picture of what it said here on the screen. Um, and so, cue, <laughs> all right. Uh, this is what it says. This is what he posted, right? God can literally do anything he wants. Also, God, instead of just forgiving sin, I think I'll murder my son for the weekend first. That'll show those sinful humans how much I love them, right? And so you look at that and you go, okay, like I can see why somebody might think something like this. Like I I can totally see why that might be a thing, right? Because God literally can do anything he wants. And so what this is saying is, all right, God, if you're so powerful if you're all knowing, if you can do anything that you want, why in the world does it take the death of Jesus? Why, why kill Jesus whenever, if you are all powerful, why can't you just forgive, right? I mean, just do it. Like, why go through all of this pomp of, of Jesus being born and all of that kind of stuff, right? And, uh, and, and again, we, and we talked about this last week. If you look in what he's saying there, I'll murder my son for the weekend first. Uh, if you don't know any better, it's like, why is God killing his kid whenever the son of God means that he is God, right? That's what that term means. And so it's like, uh, so it's not like, his kid, right? It's not like his child. Um, And so you kind of look at that and you're like, all right, cool. Like, I I see what you're saying. And then I kind of, you know, immediately was like, wow, tell me you don't get it without telling me you don't get it, right? But then um, I noticed something. There was a former student of mine who was in my youth ministry who uh, was the first person on the like right there. And I was like, what? And so um, I was like, I wonder, you know, what that's all about. And so, um, you know, I was like, I messaged her and I just said, hey, um, you know, I noticed that you like this page. Uh, have you kind of walked away from like Orthodox Christianity or like, is there another reason that you kind of like this or what's, what's kind of going on? And, um, and so she ends up messaging me back and basically proceeds to tell me that, you know, a lot has changed and now she's an atheist. And, uh, and it was one of those things where it's like, wow, like this was like a student who, you know, um, was one of your good ones, like, one of the ones that was like, oh, man, this person, you know, gets it. And, uh, but, you know, we won't go into all that led her there, but she's basically like, you know, so now I'm an atheist. And I was like, so, you know, it's legitimate then. Like, she sees that post, and she's like, Thank you, like that's exactly how I feel and that's exactly what has drawn me away, you know, from Christianity is is stuff like that that doesn't make any sense. So I told her, I said, you know, hey, um, I would love to talk to you more about that if you're open for the conversation. Um, and, uh, and she said, you know, I, am I'm, I'm at peace now with it and i I really don't want to have a conversation about it. And, uh, and so I just said, you know, okay, that's cool. Like, I'm, I'm not going to prod you to have that conversation, but you know, before I, um, you know, that wasn't the last thing I said, the last thing I wanted to leave her, leave with her is I told her to never stop seeking truth though. All right? Don't think you've arrived. Don't think that what this is is truth because you're convinced of this just as much as you were Christianity a while back, right? So don't stop seeking truth. Uh, and I told her because there's too much at stake to just stop. And I said, including an entire wasted life. I was like, I would hate for you to, and again, what's my motivation for even trying to convince her anyway else? I don't get anything in heaven, you know, for like, if she changes her mind and is like, like the only thing I get, the only thing that I get from that is I love her and I don't want to see her waste an entire life on things that, that aren't true. And so I, you know, I was like, you know, please don't, I would hate for at the end of your life, you know, for you to look back and go, man, it was real. And I just, I didn't do anything with this one life that I was given. Like, I didn't do anything that was worth eternal value or anything that, with this one life that I was given. And, uh, and so I just said, you know, um, I know that, that this guy and other guys like this sound super smart, right? Right off the cuff, it's like, wow, yeah, right? Um, but I said, but what if, they are, what if what they are saying is actually there's an answer to it? Like there's a rebuttal to it and it actually is logical and it actually makes a lot of sense. What if they misunderstand something what if you're misunderstanding something, right? I said, at least leave that possibility out there. And uh, anyways, and so I left that for her. Um, she didn't reply to that or anything, uh, but I just, I just wanted her to at least, you know, have that in mind. Um, but it plays perfectly into what we're talking about today. Uh, because you see, the first statement in that is correct. God can literally do anything he wants, all right? literally can do anything that he wants, right? But just forgiving sin, and you can put that back up there, Rachel, that quote, Um, but just forgiving sin, right? Um, That's not something God can do. It's not something that he wants to do. He literally can do anything he wants, but he doesn't want to just forgive sin. And you're like, wait, what do you mean? And let me just tell you this before we start. We don't want him to either, we don't want him to either. And let me explain kind of what I'm saying. See, the one, one of the characteristics of God in the Bible is righteous. All right? He's a righteous God. What does that mean? It simply means that everything he does is Right? Alright. Every single thing he does is right. He always does what is good, which means he knows what is wrong, and he knows what is evil, and he always does the opposite of what is wrong and what is evil. But you see, God is also sovereign, all right? So that means that he is in all authority. So this sovereign God that we have is righteous, And that is a good thing because what we want in a God is perfection in righteousness in their authority, all right? Because we don't want somebody in authority who is not good, somebody who is evil or doesn't do what is right. And it would be nice, right, if let's say you had a boss who was righteous in everything that they did, right? I mean, who, who would be okay with their working environment if their boss was completely righteous in every decision that they made, right? That would be awesome if that was a thing. Um, what about somebody who was ruling our nation, right? What if it, it would be awesome if we had a president who was always righteous in everything that they did, right? And, uh, and I mean, that would be amazing, always making the best decisions, always making the wisest decisions, always making decisions that were absolutely pure. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice if we were the type of leader in our homes or for our families or for whatever uh, that could always make the righteous decision? In leading your family. See, one of the greatest stressors um, about being a parent is being afraid that you will royally screw up your children, all right? Like as soon as they're born, yeah, like it happens. It's a real fear. Like as soon as they're born, you're like, what do I do with this thing, right? Like the doctor just kind of hands you the child, and there is no manual like there is no you do it like this, right? You're handed a child is basically like it's yours. However it turns out, good luck. Like that's that's on you. Okay? Like it would be awesome if we were absolutely righteous in all of our decisions that we made in raising our children. That way our children would have a perfect example. But the problem is we just end up praying like God, please. Save this child from any kind of harm. Lead them in a right direction because I am not the best example for them. And we have to make up sayings, right? Whenever we look at our children and we have to say things like, do as you're you're told, not as I do, all right, right? Because we are bad examples for our children sometimes. And they look at us and they go, well, you're doing it. Why can't I? And I'm like, no, no, just do what I tell you to do. Don't do as I do, all right? Do as I say, right? And, uh, and so it's a really, really kind of tough thing uh, because we are so far from righteous leaders, but we have a righteous God who rules this world and he knows what is best and he knows what is right and he knows what is good and he operates in that and only in that. And this sovereign, righteous God is not only king, but he's also judge of everything, right? And in his righteousness, or his righteousness allows him to judge with perfect fairness, absolute perfect fairness. It means that justice is, is never not served when it comes to God, okay? Because he is righteous. Because He is sovereign, there is no justice that is ever not served exactly correctly. There is never a wrongful conviction. Isn't, and isn't that what this world would love right now? Especially, you know, our country. Like there are cries for justice all throughout our country, all the time. Why? Because we want our legal system. We want our court system. We want everything to, to be just and we want everything to be fair. That's what we want. We don't don't want anybody that is not fair. We don't want somebody who is convicting innocent people and letting go people who are guilty, right? But there are too many people in this world who have been convicted guilty who are innocent and too many guilty people who have walked. And we see that and it's disgusting to us. Like it churns our stomach and we cry for justice, and we yell, and we try to make our voice loud, and we say, we demand justice. We need to see change. We need what is right. We need what is fair, and that's a good thing. We don't want a judge who pardons guilty and condemns the innocent. We want a judge who implements justice with absolute fairness, absolute righteousness, and goodness. But it's interesting how our world demands justice from our justice system, but when it comes to God, it says the loving and right thing to do would be just forgive. Just forgive, all right? You see, it's easy to demand justice when you're sitting behind a TV or a phone, but it's a different story when you're the defendant. All of a sudden, you're less concerned about justice and you're more concerned about forgiveness. All right? So you see, God can't just forgive sin. He won't. He's too good. He's too just. He's too righteous. And we don't want him to because that would make him a corrupt God. Okay? So, so many people spend their time pointing the finger at God, or a finger, well, the finger at God as well, right? <laughs> Let's just be real for a second. Um, and, and they say things to God like, can you say that? Yeah, I did. Sorry. Um, but, but they say things like, if you're so good, how can you let people go to hell? Have you ever heard that before? Have you heard people say that before? Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something that a lot of people will say. But the real question we should be asking of a just, righteous, and sovereign God is if you're so good and you're so just and you are so right, how could you let anyone into heaven? How can you do that? How can you let an offender go free? That is not justice to do that. That is not justice. You see, I think the problem is, is we don't see the severity and we don't see the offense of our own sin. We don't see that. We don't see it deserving of such a severe punishment, right? It's not that big of a deal. I didn't kill anyone. Are you really telling me that because I told a lie that now I have to receive justice and that I'm going to be in hell? And it's like, what? Like, that doesn't make sense. But you see, do you guys remember um, back in, some of you probably were like little children, but this was like 2009-ish, all right, and uh, or before that, actually, do you guys remember whenever um, George W. Bush was president of the United States and he was giving a press conference and, uh, and there was an Iraqi gentleman that stood up in this, pra- in this press conference. Do you guys remember what happened? what did he do? Yeah, he threw his shoe at him, right? So George gets up there and uh, he's kind of standing there and he's getting ready to say his remarks. And this Iraqi guy pulls out his shoe and just chunks it. And all we see is a shoe flying at George's head. And he's like, whoa, and like totally matrix dodged that thing, right? It was kind of crazy and it missed. And what the guy do? He got his other shoe and then he chunked his other shoe at George Bush, right? And, uh, and, he, and he did it again. And then all of a sudden you see Secret Service come out from behind the doors and everybody's like what's happening right now and they kind of take this guy down and uh and then George gives some kind of remark like if you're wondering it was a size 10 (laughs) but uh let's for real came out of his mouth but uh you know hey make light of 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 what just happened but uh yeah I didn't know I didn't know I could didn't know I could do that um anyways that was totally off the cuff uh I wasn't sitting in front of my mirror and be like, huh. <laughs> <You know>? so, <laughs> sorry. Let's get back on track here. All right. Um, now, what would happen, what would happen, get back with me here. All right. Here we go. What would happen if my daughter threw her shoe at her brother? She would get in trouble. Yeah. I mean, we'd have to have a talk. We'd be like, we do not throw shoes. All right. Like, that's what it would have to be. Now, what if, uh, what if my daughter threw her shoe at me? right? Everybody kind of, everything just kind of elevated a little bit, right? And it's like, what in the world happened? Um, she would definitely get in big trouble. But do you know what that man got for throwing his shoe at the president of the United States? Three, they did not kill him. They, they did not. Uh, they gave him three years in prison. Three years. That guy served three years in prison for throwing his shoe at the president of the United States. Why? 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 because it wasn't so much the throwing of the shoe. That's a pretty small offense, right? In the scheme of things. But do you know what made it a big deal? It was who it was thrown at. That's what made it a big deal. See, we may see our sin as simple as throwing a shoe, but it's not the size of the sin nor the size of the shoe. That's not the problem. It's who you've committed it against. That's what the problem is. See, our sovereign and good God who is righteous and whom the angels can do nothing but in his presence declare holy, holy, holy. That's all they can say. That God who tells the mountains to form, and they do. The one who tells the oceans to fill, And they obey the one who commands the winds to blow and the flowers to grow. The God whom all of creation recognizes the majesty of and obeys. And then we look at him with each sin that we commit and we say, no. We say, forget you. Like, I'm going to do my own thing, right? That's what we say. And that's what we tell the Lord about those things. And we are repeat offenders who have lost count of the number of offenses that we have done against God. And so we have all of these things that have racked up and we demand that he just forgive. He's too just. He's too good. He's too righteous. He cannot do that. And so we go that way, we make our own decisions and with our decisions come consequences, right? And the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, I don't have it on the screen for you, but it says this, the wages of sin is death. That's what it says. So that's the consequence, right? The wages of sin is death. Why? Because God is angry, because God's mad that you didn't listen to him. And, and, And so he wants to get back to you and he's like, he wants to get back at you. And so he's like, you know what? You're gonna sin against me? Hell, right? No. That's not it at all. You see, God is holy. He's perfect. Where he dwells is holy as well. And what our sin has done is separated us from a holy God. We are no longer welcome in his presence, not because he doesn't want us, not because of, 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 of any ill feelings he has towards us, but because his holiness and his righteousness and his goodness cannot allow it. He's too good, he's too just. You see, contrary to popular belief, God's just punishment of sin is not a threat to his character. It's not. People look at God and go, he's not a good God. Look, him punishing sin is not a threat to his character, it actually attests to his character. And this is the point of the death of Christ on the cross. So we're going to get into it a little bit. Remember What was said. Let's throw that slide up there one more time. Also, God, right? God can literally do anything it wants. Also, God, instead of just forgiving sin, I think I'll murder my son for the weekend first. That'll show those sinful humans how much I love them. Let's revise this just a little bit, okay? You can go to the next one. God, because my righteousness and goodness can't allow the offender to go free, because justice must be served, I will go down there and I will take their punishment for them. That'll show those sinful humans how much I love them. Also, God, I am God, and I can literally do anything I want, and I want to save them. That speaks more truth than what was before. That is the reason that Jesus came, and that is the reason that he died. When Christ went to the cross, it was God himself stepping in on our behalf to pay the fine of our rebellion. The wage of death that we earned, he paid for. Justice had to be served, but it had to be someone who had no debt of their own. And last week, we looked at Jesus' life and he experienced this world that we experience and live this life, and yet he remained spotless. He remained absolutely sinless. Everything he did was loving and righteous and good. Everything that he did. He's the only human to ever earn heaven. The only one in all of history to ever earn heaven, but instead of receiving his own reward, he offers it to us instead. So what I wanna do for the remainder of our time is something you are told not to do as a preacher. All right. And that is to, to do something that you guys can just do at home. All right. And so what I want to do for the remainder of our time, and this is going to be a little difficult for me because I love to stop and explain things. I just want all of us to just sit under just a simple reading of scripture just a simple reading of what Christ has done in order so that we can have eternal life, all right? And so I would like to just, you know, and maybe, maybe this is something that you've you've read before. Maybe this is something you've never read before. Maybe you've read it dozens of times. I don't know. But what I want to do is I just want to sit under it. And I just want to allow the Lord to speak to our hearts with whatever he has to tell us just from the reading of his word. And I want... I wanna pray that he would reveal truth to us like we've been praying about today. And I wanna pray that he would show us what he wants to show us. So before we go into, if you guys wanna turn uh, to Matthew chapter 26, um, that's where we're gonna start. Uh, if you wanna go there, um, I'm gonna pray over our time as we read this scripture and, uh, and then we'll get into this. Let me pray. Father, we... Um, love your word. God, we thank you that you are a personable God who shows us uh, his plan and his will. God, who's preserved scripture for so long so that we can look at this today. God, so that we can see what is true. And Lord, I pray that you would just reveal to each and every one of us in here, Father, something of truth. God, something that, that helps things make sense. God, something that, that would be valuable Um, as we try to live this life that we want to live. And so, God, I pray that you would guide our hearts, God, that you would direct us exactly where it is that you want to direct us through the power of your Holy Spirit. And uh, so bless this time, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Matthew 26, I'm going to read together. The greatest example of love in all of history, and as we read, as someone once was somebody once said, I love this. Let's understand that we are treading on some of the most holy ground in all of Scripture. All right, so uh, chapter twenty-six. Let's start there. I will have it on the screen for you, um, if you want to read along with me with the version that uh, the uh, translation that I'm reading from, and uh, and so let's just take this in. Here we go. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, Passover begins in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. At that same time, the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed or the people may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. And then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? As you go into the city, he told them, you will see a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says, my time has come and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal there. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one of them asked in turn, am I the one, Lord? He replied, one of you who has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. For the Son of Man must die, as the Scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who was the one who would betray him, also asked, "Rabbi, am I the one?" And Jesus told him, "You have said it." As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. And then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, "Take this and eat it." for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. And on the way, Jesus told them tonight, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go out. I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. And Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. And then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour, keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, If this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. And when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same thing again. And then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed and gave him the kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and they arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use this sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? But if I did... How would the scriptures be fulfilled that described what must happen now? And then Jesus said to the crowd, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day, but this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. And at that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled Then the people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of religious law and the elders had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and sat with the guards and waited to see how it all would end. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus so they could put him to death. But even though they found many who agreed to give false witness, they could not use anyone's testimony. Finally, two men came forward who declared, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. And Jesus replied, you have said it. And in the future, you will see the son of man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, blasphemy. Why do we need any other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. Then they began to spit in Jesus's face and beat him with their fists. And some slapped him jeering, prophesy to us, you Messiah, who hit you that time? And meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus the Galilean But Peter denied in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And later out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. And a little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We could tell by your Galilean accent. And Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man and immediately The rooster crowed. And suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. Very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. Then they bound him. And they led him away, and they took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. And when Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. And then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. And the leading priest picked up the coins It wouldn't be right to put this money in the temple treasury, they said, since it was payment for murder. After some discussion, they finally decided to buy the potter's field and they made it into a cemetery for foreigners. That is why the field is still called the field of blood. This fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah that says they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price at which he was valued by the people of Israel, and purchased the potter's field as the Lord directed. Now, Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor, "'Are you the king of the Jews?' the governor asked him. Jesus replied, "'You have said it.' But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. "'Don't you hear all these charges they're bringing against you?' Pilate demanded. But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise." Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, "'Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah?' He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. And just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? And the crowd shouted back, Barabbas! And Pilate responded, Then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? And they shouted back, Crucify him. Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, Crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death. We and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. And some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and shoved it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. And when they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. And then they led him away to be crucified. And along the way, they came across a man named Simon who was from Cyrene. And the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus's cross. And they went out to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. The soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with bitter gall, but when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. After that, after they had nailed him, to the cross. The soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus's head announcing the charge against him. It read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews, Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, then if you are the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now and we will believe him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. And at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? which means my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead and they left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and, and all that had happened. And they said, this man truly was the son of God. And many women who had come from Galilee with Jesus to care for him were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus's body. And Pilate issued an order to release him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own tomb which had been carved out of the rock. And then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and he left. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching. The next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. And they told him, sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive, that after three days I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. And Pilate replied, take the guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. Jesus stepped out of heaven, came to a broken earth. And he loved that broken earth and that broken earth killed him. But God was the one ultimately responsible for the death of Jesus. It was a rescue mission. And through Christ's death, that broken earth has an opportunity to be healed. Spoiler alert, Jesus doesn't stay dead. More about that next week. He resurrects from the grave, validating every single thing ever written in the scriptures and every single thing that ever came out of his mouth. Hey, broken earth, including myself, if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we'll believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved and we will not have to pay for the sins that we've committed. And if we will stop saying no and we will surrender and say yes, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Our righteous, good, and just God has made a way when there was no way. That is our God. And He does whatever He wants. Whatever He wanted to do, including save us, He's going to do. And He moved heaven and earth to do it. No other God in history has ever come down. No other God, no other, no other proclaimed God has ever walked among the people and cared so much about the people. You can study any other God in the world. That God is way too high and lofty and and not attainable. Our God is the real God, high and lofty, not attainable. So he came to us to to make himself attainable. What an amazing God. So what I want to do um, just for a minute is I want to, in a second, we're going to do something called take communion. And I'll explain that, what, what that is in a second, because I want to remember what Christ has done for us. But um, what I want to do is I just want us to bow our heads just for a second. And um, I just want to give everyone in the room an opportunity to spend time with God. Maybe maybe right now that time needs to be spent confessing him as Lord and asking him to save you. Maybe that time needs to be spent reflecting on everything that God's done so that you can have life. Whatever that is, I just want to encourage you just to right now in the stillness of the room, just to pray in response to what you've heard today. So let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.